0: Hey, if you're taking notes, the title of the message is The Battle in Receiving and Giving God's Love, okay? Now, I I just want you to think about that for a second because there's actually a battle to receive God's love and to give it to others, to step on the pedal of doing what is right, to be a conduit of justice and empathy and compassion to other people. There's a real battle that goes on in our hearts. Now that may strike you as a bit odd It's like, Greg, are you saying there's a battle to actually receive God's love? Oh, there is actually. To actually trust that he has his hand upon our life. That he's sovereignly working out his highest good in our life there's a battle to embrace that and to find rest and strength in that reality listen there's a battle jonah is experiencing it he's upset he's angry if you boiled it down we're going to be talking about it it's because he's having a hard time receiving god's love he knows god is love and he knows he's like really really good but in the moment, he's having a hard time being renewed in that very reality. I mean, maybe that's you this morning. You know, you're just having a hard time. Man, i just really going through it. But i got to tell you something. As a child of God, you are loved. And it's not like some abstract reality. Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, love means he's providing and he's present and he's protecting your life. He's really close to you. He's working out his highest good in your life. It's like, okay, I know that. Okay, but the Holy Spirit really wants you to know that. He really wants to bring that reality to your heart. Jonah, we're going to talk about it. He's struggling with this big battle in his life, not only receiving God's love personally, but being a conduit to other people, okay? So that's kind of the big idea. Let's get a little running start. Do you remember (laughs) when we were kids in grammar school, the teacher would say, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Could could you raise your hand if that makes any sense? We've heard that before, right? You know, my brother used to say to me when I'd ask a question, he'd go, you know what, if you don't know the answer to that question, I'm not gonna tell you. That's what he used to say. As if, if I knew the answer to the question I was asking, he would tell me, right, or something. He would say, you know, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. But I'm asking the question. If you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. You know, just think about it. It didn't dawn on me until a little later how weird that response is, right? Um, But by nature, questions jumpstart mental processes. It's true. You know, if I were to ask you, well, how are you doing? You know, sometimes that's just a greeting. We don't think too much about it. But then if I said, no, no, listen, man, How, how are you really doing? Now watch this. And I, and I get a little closer and you're like, whoa. And I put my hand on your shoulder and I go, no, listen, what's going on? I mean, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Oh man, that all of a sudden jump starts your thinking, gets you focused on a particular issue. I got to tell you, the right question can actually save a life. My precious sister, I have two older sisters and the one nearest to me in age, I believe is in heaven, even as I speak. Covered by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But she had some physical issues. And she was a nurse, a credible nurse in Texas. Long story short, she, well, she was not doing well. And she called her friend, doctor, nurse. I don't know the exact specifics. But her friend said, "Jenny, let me ask you a question. Are you experiencing this? And it was just the right question. And my sister answered, okay, this is my condition. She said, you get to the hospital right now. Because you're experiencing a heart attack. And it saved your life, right? So, look, the right question can get you focused in a particular issue. You unpack that issue, man, it can even save your life. One person said the quality of your life in any area of your life will be determined by the kind of questions you have the courage to ask yourself in that area. And if you don't ask the right questions in your life, you won't get the right answers, And if you don't get the right answers, you can't build the right strategy. And if you can't get the right strategy, you won't get the right results. So regardless of what you do in life, you have to ask the right questions. I believe that if the Pharisees in Capernaum, which was the city Jesus spent most of his time during his earthly ministry, which is in the north, it's outside of Jerusalem, it's on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennaro. Okay, in the synagogue there, Jesus asked the, uh, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill it? Now, that was a very important question. You know, I, I can imagine it's not particularly resonating with many of us this morning, but please hear me. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus asked that to the Pharisees, they were the most strict religious sect in Israel, you know, really traditional, really conservative, really committed. But they had many traditions that blinded them to the word of God itself. It's like tradition became more important than the truth of God's word. Jesus asked them this question. If they stopped and danced with Jesus a little bit, like in the conversation, it would have unraveled this onion of tradition that would have led to the greatest revelation of Almighty God, that Jesus is the Messiah standing right in their midst. I'm convinced of it, but they didn't answer it. They they refused to answer the question. They refused to dance, if you will, in this conversation with the Lord Jesus. Jesus became angry, and it, it tells us the reason why It's because they wouldn't respond. He knows what's best for them. And they hardened their heart, and this sin began to morph, and they began to work with Herodians, which was really their arch enemies in terms of societal dynamics, to plot the murder of Jesus. Look, all of that to simply bring us to verse 4, really. And I want you to look at it with me. Because at this time, the Lord's asking Jonah a question. And it's so important that Jonah, like, responds to it. He asks in verse 4. In fact, let's let's all read it together. We have it up on the screen. Okay, let's all read it together. Is it right for you to be angry? Okay, look, pause right there. Implication is no. But Jonah, you've got to really think about this. I mean, is it right for you to be angry? Here's the bigger picture. We've been studying it, right? You have Jonah, who's, who's a good Jewish boy, very conservative. He's a prophet in the ninth century. He's called to go to Nineveh, which is modern day Mosul. It's the headquarters of ISIS today. To, to preach a message, to worship the Lord God of Israel. And if the Ninevites do not respond to the Lord in truth and repent of their wicked ways, I mean, a horrible place, really, really evil place, the Lord would bring judgment upon them. But the good news is, is that he brings this message and the whole city responds. It's like a million people turn to the true and living God. But, but at this time, even though that's taking place, Jonah is upset about it you know it's it it means it means he well he wanted them not to receive the message he wanted the ninevites wiped out the lord extends his grace they respond to it there's this incredible awakening in nineveh and 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 jonah is like man lord you know paraphrasing the first three verses i knew you were a god of love and mercy and stuff it's 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 why i didn't want to come here because the, the implication is you might give them a second chance. And it was like, hey, I wanted them all toasted. You hear what I'm saying? It's like, you know, toast these liberals or conservatives or wherever you're coming from. Because I just want them to go to the Gehenna. And, and he's, he's battling with this and stuff. And the Lord says in verse 4 to him, is it right for you to be angry? And as I said, the implication is like, no. But let me tell you this, you guys. This may sound a little weird, But the truth is, much of our life has actually to do with anger. It's true. Anger reveals many things. Our values, our priorities, our passions, our goals. I mean, to ask what upsets you, what really bugs you, will give a window into the inner workings of your heart, good, bad, or ugly. It's been said, You know, you can tell the measure of a man by what he sweats over. If he sweats the little things, he gets upset and ticked off about all these little things. It says a lot about his values and his priorities and his character. If he's patient and he's non-reactive, oh, that just tells you, you know, he's a person of character, there's strength from the inside out. Anger is not necessarily sin. I mean, the reality is that there are issues that we ought to be angry over. You know, Ephesians chapter 5, we have it up on the screen, 15 and 16. I have it misprinted there. It's not 15 to 27. I mean, the, the scripture says, be angry. It's like, hey, there's times to be angry. Okay? And do not sin. So there is such a thing as being angry. Like, should we be angry over injustices? Should we be angry over the exploitation of children, sex trafficking, the crazy Islamic jihadism, should we not be angry over that? Can I hear a big amen to that? Of course. And if we're not, uh, man, there's something not right. There is such a thing as justice. There is such a thing about the value of our fellow men. I mean, the Lord was angry. When he came into Jerusalem and he saw the pollution of the Temple Mount and stuff, and it was just made into kind of the stock exchange, making a bunch of money off the Lord God of Israel and, and just made it so tough for people coming from or the surrounding nations to come worship the Lord God of Israel and all these exchanges of money. And it was just crazy set up there. He was really, really upset. And the reason is, is the Lord is perfect love. So he hates actually anything that will undermine your highest good. As parents and grandparents, when we see something crazy happening in our children's life, well, it's not that we don't like them. We don't like the ideas, perhaps, that are informing their thinking and leading to poor choices. Can I hear an amen to that? We make a distinction between the two. It's like, no, look, dude, what I hate is, I hate that action, but I love you. It's like, that's not your friend. sin is not your friend and it into worse realities. On the other hand, look, there is anger that is without just cause. It's like, okay, well, there's an an anger that has just causes when there's injustices and exploitation and stuff like that, and, and actually false doctrine that obscures the true and living God. We should be angry over that. I mean, Jesus said, look, I'll paraphrase it, if you stumble a little one, you're like filling their head with a bunch of garbage that keeps them from having right relationship with God. You might as well tie yourself to a millstone and jump in the lake. I mean, it was like kind of mafioso in a way, you know. It's like, hey, I'm just telling you right now, hearts and minds are precious. And it's like we all have a responsibility towards one another. So if someone is perpetuating as a conduit of false information, it's not good because it has a big impact on people's lives. On the other hand, as I said, there is unjust anger. Like, oh, I'm just so ticked off because I'm frustrated. There's miscommunication. I can't get over it. Or or it's like, I know I need to forgive, but I'm just (laughs) going to carry this resentment that just kills me and, and it pollutes a bunch of people. It's like, that is unjust anger. Are you consumed with causeless anger? You know, the personality bugs me or weakness of another human but there's no real intent to have harmed you or it's like you know i just can't get over the change here it's really or the you know the procedure methodological something but it really is not i don't know that important you know you got to distinguish between majors and minors and so forth see in jonah's case the lord wants his anger unpacked because his anger is the result of his own agenda not unfolding. His own expectations not being met. But God has something so much better for him. I mean, for Jonah, he's battling. It's like, okay, I know God is love. And, and I've come here all the way, like 500 miles to Nineveh. And you see this whole city responding to the true and living God. And I wish that didn't happen. Wait, time out. Wait, Jonah, you know, it's not all about you. God doesn't exist as a means to your personal agenda. Jonah, you're upset that your your personal goals are not being fulfilled, but you know, actually, the Lord has something so much better for you. If you rest in his love and if you trust him in his plan in your life, can I hear a big amen to that? Can you see that? Oh, he's, well, I'm just so upset, Lord, because it's not unfolding the way I want it to unfold And it's almost as if the Lord is saying, look, I'm telling you right now, Jonah, you have God replacements in your heart. You have idols. And and I'm going to tell you right now, if you keep those goals and those ideals and those objectives, your life's going to be miserable because God replacements always abandon you. They always treat you horribly. So it's better, Jonah, to trust my love for you. I know what I'm doing in your life. And it's better to trust my love to reach this generation that I'm doing through your life. So it's as if the Lord is saying, Jonah, I know you're in turmoil and I know you're struggling, but what's really going on? Is your heart right? Is what you're feeling aligning really with the will of God? Are you in some self-defeating spiral? I have so much better for you, Jonah. I want you to rest in my love for you. I want you to rest in my plan to reach the entire world. I mean, hey, look, you're a Jew. I I called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the descendants thereof to be a light to the entire world and ultimately a Messiah to bless the entire world. So there's a divine call upon your life. It's best, Jonah, that you just dump your little God replacements and your own agenda and just rest in my sovereign will. Let me share something with you guys. Well, Jonah obviously is a historical figure. You know, the first message we gave on Jonah 1, we titled it, the title could be your name. The title of the book could be your name. I mean, this book is called Jonah, but here's the reality. In a lot of ways, it could be called Greg (laughs) because we're all under construction. How many of you believe that? Raise your hand real quick. Okay, watch this. Here's, Here's how we are. Watch. Chapter 1. Shows the patience of God. Oh man, he's so long-suffering, he's so beautiful. He pursues Jonah, like, tackles him. He knows what's best for him. He runs him down. Jonah tries to run away. The Lord pursues him, tackles him. Jonah realizes, man, the Lord is so patient with me, and thank the Lord for God's patience in all of our lives. Can I hear another big aim into that? Watch? Chapter two: God's pardon. He forgives. Gives second chance. Chapter three, the power of the work of almighty God in and through lives to impact a generation. So you could say, well, Jonah has a fresh learned of God's patience. He's a fresh learned of God's pardon, that there's forgiveness for him and for others. And he's a fresh learned, whoa, the Lord is really powerful. He cares about a generation. But in chapter four, he's struggling afresh with all of those things. You say, well, didn't he learn his lesson? Have you learned your lesson? And have I learned my lesson? I mean, are we still not under construction? See, here's the thing. We struggle with the patience of God. What what do you mean? Why would we struggle? He should be struggling because he has to be so long-suffering. No, we struggle with the patience of God. In this way, we're always looking for shortcuts to maturity. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to share something with you. The need in your life for renewal and change is much greater than you think it is. It's like, I came to faith by the grace of God when I was 16. The Lord rescued me from stupid decisions. I had a real sense of new identity, his presence and love in my life. But I have to say, did I really know Greg Denham at 16? I mean, the reality is, I have a greater understanding of who I really am by nature as I've gotten older. And now, at 39 years of age, oh, just kidding (laughs) You know, I have a greater understanding of who I am. And I I have to just say, and I really mean this, okay, from the bottom of my heart, I just thank the Lord that He has just captured and recaptured my heart. I've just, I've just grown in a greater appreciation of the awesomeness of our Heavenly Father's redemptive love. I'm just amazed. Lord, you, oh Lord, you knew I needed you. In fact, let me tell you, one of the strengths of Christians, because it's not like, oh man, we're so much better than other people. Well, let's tell you one area we're stronger than our unbelieving friends. We're stronger in that we have a greater understanding of who we really are. It's like, and look, this may blow you away. Look, like there's wickedness. No, Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. I mean, there's total self-indulgence. There's pride. There's ego. Would you not agree with this, you guys? You say, that's so radical to speak in such terms. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. That's a sign actually of strength. That's critical and we need to understand, boy, how we need God's patience in our life and how we struggle with it. Why? Because we're always looking for shortcuts for us to get from A to B, B being full maturity when in fact it is a process, I mean, salvation is the miracle of the moment we receive the free gift of salvation, but that begins a beautiful process in our lives. I love it. And we also battle with the patience of God in other people's lives. It's like, gee, Lord, sometimes I just feel like praying, bless them with a brick. You know what I mean, Lord? It's like, okay, yeah, but who are you? You know, I know, I see, we struggle with this, don't we? It's true, and then we struggle with the pardon. Like, um, well, I can understand why the Lord pardoned me, you know. But what about this person? Wait, he for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son whosoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. We struggle with the power of God even. Oh, could God use me? He used my availability to work and impact this person. I mean, these are struggles that we are dealing with all the time. And it busts some of the crazy ideas that exist. And one of which is that the essence of a Christian is a whole lot better or stronger than someone else when reality is a Christian has admitted I am weak. I need a savior king. In fact, the hope for my life is that I'm gonna trust in the savior king in my life. And here's the reality. We're all like Jonah. Having experienced a type of death, Jonah was thrown overboard, a type of death, and then resurrection, he was swallowed by that big fish. And then he was regurgitated back on dry land and then this process began. And as I mentioned, there's the miracle of the moment of salvation. That's a gift, but then it begins this process. And this means that we are forgiven and loved and empowered and that our old patterns of anger and fear and denial are actually under a death sentence. In Christ, we have power Over self-defeating realities, self-defeating godless decisions, and bents, and powers. It's like we have Christ in us, the power of his resurrection. So the power of sin, it could be said, it's like it's been unplugged. And yet, we still struggle. Even though, as I mentioned, fear and anger and denial are all under a death sentence. Oh, before the Lord there's no judgment, no condemnation in Christ. But the presence of sin still exists. And it can like rise up, erupt in our life. And what's happening in Jonah's life is just that. He's battling with himself. He's angry. And, and, and cutting to the quick, it's because he's refusing To trust God's love in his own life and to trust the love of God in the lives of others. Does that make any sense there? Oh, it's so important. Go back to verse one. We have it up on the screen. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. He became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? And therefore I fled previously to Tarshish for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, oh Lord, please take my life for me for it is better for me to, can someone tell me, die than to live. Let me look up here for a second. I'm gonna share something with you. When, when the Lord is replaced in our life with some agenda, some goal, we'll develop this the more, it, it, let me just tell you, it ultimately treats us really bad and ultimately abandons us. That's what an idol does. And there's all kinds of idols. It can be centralism, materialism. It can be some ideology. It can be a person. It could be a marriage. It's like I just well, this is my God, and this is number one in my life. But be careful, because humans are humans, and ultimately, we leave each other. We die. We're ultimately reunited in the Lord. But I got to say, if if we don't have the Lord Himself as the source of our strength and identity, it, we, we become really unstable and neurotic. And even like Jonah's, like man, I want to. Can someone tell me? It's like, I just, okay, well, um, Jonah, um, is it right for you to be angry? Let's unpack this thing. See, what happens is Jonah ends up isolating himself here, he withdraws, he disengages. And that's, that's a pattern of unresolved guilt, not being in a place where you need to be as you begin to isolate yourself. By nature, man is, is a hider. We, we hide. In fact, there really would be no need for modern psychiatry or psychology unless man by nature was a hider. We're gonna read in a little bit. He isolates himself. He runs away. He's parting in a pit of self-pity. And if you freeze frame the picture, Jonah's sitting on a hill overlooking the city trying to find comfort in two ways. One, in this temporal shelter. We'll read a little bit about it in a second. And he, oh, that's, I just, would you help me, Lord? I'm trying to find some comfort in something outside of you. In this little temporal shelter, we'll read in a second. And, and in addition to that, he's waiting for the circumstances to change. He's actually on this hill looking down at the city, hoping that the Lord just torches the place. He's waiting for the circumstances to change when he should be changing himself. He should be yielding to the Lord and the work of the Lord in his own life. It's like, hey, the Lord is saying, Jonah, look, I I don't wait for the city to change. Don't, Don't think that the circumstances, if they change, that would be the answer. No, look, I have a work that I want to accomplish in your life. Remember James chapter one, consider all joy when you fall into various trials and adversity. It's like, man, that's hard to do. Well, please understand me. He says that adversity is used to mature you and grow you and that's why you consider it joy it's like look the lord wants to change the way you think he wants to change you he wants to grow you can i hear another big amen to that see some of us are waiting for our circumstances to change and what if they don't for jonah it's like man i just want to die all the more And the Lord is saying, oh, John, I just have so much better for you. Would you please rest in my love for you and rest in my plan that I'm working out in your life? You see, when he doesn't change himself, when he doesn't find strength and comfort and his expectations met, he just wants to die. And it just reminds us the most miserable person really on planet Earth is the Christian who is refusing to rest in God's love and plan and protectiveness in the work of God's spirit in their own life and trusting, okay, Lord, you're sovereign over circumstances, you're providential, and in the work of the Lord through their life. Can we trust the Lord? I mean, is he not intimately involved in our life? I mean, remember... Jesus taught us to just ask, seek, and knock. And the Lord always gives us what is good. He always blesses us with himself. We can trust that. Because once we ask, we can say, okay, Lord, then you're in control. And I can trust you're working out your plan. Imagine if someone, let me just put it this way. Imagine if someone had given you a million dollar ring. I mean, like a million monstrosities big carrot, diamonds, you know, and they gave that to you. And, um, and then you're sitting down with them and you're having like, I don't know, Super Bowl, right? So you're watching the Super Bowl and you have some ruffled potato chips. Aren't ruffles great? Anyways, I mean, you know, kind of the little less fat ones. I just love those. So you're just kind of, and there's this bowl, but they just gave you a million dollar camera and you're watching the Super Bowl and you got this bowl of ruffles and you're like, oh, is it appropriate for me to reach in and have some ruffles? I mean, I know, I'm at their house. It's their food. They purchased it. Why would you even be reluctant? It's just like dig in and enjoy you know the bowl of ruffles my goodness gracious this person just gave you a million dollar ring the scripture says he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will we not also along with him graciously give us all things all good things can i hear an amen to that Look at verse five. So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a plant and and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. So it damaged the plant that it withered and it happened when the sun arose that God what's the next word you guys God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and then he wished death for himself and said it is better for me to die than to live and then God said to Jonah here's another question is it right for you to be angry about the plants? Jonah You are not answering the questions the Lord is asking you. You're running, okay? Now, one of my favorite Bible teachers put it this way way when addressing this text, and I just love it. It captures an idea that I want to underscore. What God is saying is, do you realize if you want to be the person that you most want to be, I have to show you that if you rest in these things, if you make these things your happiness, if you get your identity out of them, you will always be living on the edge of emotional disaster. In other words, Jonah you are trying to find a comfort and a peace and a strength outside of the Lord himself. And it's like you just got that little plant thing and it's in the desert and stuff, and then it withered and now you're really ticked He goes on to say, you'll always be a shallow person. Don't you want to be a person who's not subject to mood swings and who can take criticism and disappointment? Don't you want to be a humble yet confident person who has a source of joy whom circumstances the world cannot mess with? Don't you want to be a person like that? Then you have to let me draw you near to me like this. And look at verse 10. The Lord says, you had pity on the plant. For you've not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons, actually children, who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? Look up here for a second. In other words, Jonah, my goodness gracious, you're crying You're upset. You want to die. It's like my life is not worth it anymore because the stinking plant died that gave you a little shelter. Jonah, I need you to rethink about what you think about and what your priorities are and values and the call of of God in your life. I want you to rethink about my love for you, my love for a generation. Jonah, come on, please hear me on this. Paraphrasing this. When's the last time you wept over the next generation that doesn't know Christ? When's the last time you were moved by the fact that this person doesn't have any food? Would you, Jonah, you need, Jonah, you've got some crazy God replacements in your heart and I'm telling you, they will abandon you and hurt you. And the sooner... You just like rest in my plan for your life and my provision, the better. Can I hear a big amen to that? Is that not wonderful or what? Is not the Lord fantastic or what? And he's super patient. And he's, look, your name could be the title of this book. (laughs) Could it not? My name could be the title of this book. And for Jonah, there's a strong likelihood, you guys, that there's an idol of national pride. It's a good Jewish boy. You know, kind of a Likud member, you know, of his day. And he's hoping the Ninevites would be wiped out forever. And yet it didn't happen. Now we're in an election year, right? And there's such a thing as the idol of national pride as Americans. Rather than pride, if you will, In the greater good of God's kingdom worldwide. And maybe you find yourself just really upset over politics and political leaders and political platforms and stuff. And what it can reveal is an idol of putting your trust in the impotence of a political solution to man's deepest needs. I wonder how many of us have tried to find some shade under the Democratic Party. or the Republican Party, or whatever party you're in, And then you're like, oi, I mean, that just crumbled. Do you hear what I'm saying? I mean, it's like we need the Lord. And the source of our strength is to be the Lord. That is his plan for our life. And we're a part of something much bigger than ourselves. Can I hear a big amen to that? Church family, this morning receive his love for you. He loves you. He has you in his hands. You're the apple of his eye. A fresh receiver. There's a battle sometimes. (laughs) Receive the love that he wants to work through you. Be obedient. Love your neighbor. Forgive. Let it go. Say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Church family, I'm going to segue a little bit here because I have a very important... uh, uh, thing to share with you and it really is in light of what we've just been talking about which is what um the lord ends this book right just saying jonah what about the kids what about the greater cause what about the fact that you're a part of something much bigger than yourself and as i share this i want to i just mean this from the bottom of my heart okay i really want to encourage you in something i really want to encourage you to Listen to what I'm going to share with you through the lens of the truth of God's word, which gives us a much more accurate view of what reality is. You say, what are you talking about? Well, the lens of God's word tells us the Lord is here. Can I hear a big amen to that, right? The lens of God's word tells us that he indwells us, that he's working his plan out in our life. The the lens of God's word says that we are the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus in our generation. Okay, the lens of God's word says, all things work together for the good to those who love God, are called according to his purpose. So please hear this, seriously. Like, like I was listening to the Republican you know, debate, and it's one thing to look through a lens politically and economically and you judge it. It's a whole other thing, because we're Christians. And we believe in a savior. And we believe that the Lord is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Can I hear a big amen to that? That's why we're here. We're worshiping the Lord. And the church is upreach. It's like relationship with you, Lord. The church is in reach. We love each other. We care for each other. We bless each other. The church is outreach. We are his hands and feet in this generation. That's a quick worldview of really what a Christian is.